Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. All right, I'm so thankful that you're here this morning and uh, that we had the opportunity to study God's Word together. So I want to ask you, if you have God's Word with you, whether that's the Bible in your hands or on the smartphone that you have, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, for our time together here uh, this morning. Of course, we are in this time of year where many of us are caught up in uh, the hustle and bustle of life and of the season and of Christmas. There are many people, of course, that are, are traveling to see family or families coming here to see you guys. Uh, many of us are making kind of last-minute plans, getting details together for, for gatherings. We're getting all the ingredients together for special foods and all those preparations. Some of us are also just now at the last minute beginning our Christmas shopping, right? Um, if, if you don't want to admit that, I won't say your names from the stage, but over the last few days, um, I've gone to a handful of shops and, and a restaurant, and in the process of that, I found what I believe to be about 20% of the congregation of Crossland Community Church out getting last-minute uh, shoppings, and, uh, and, and you've not been very happy. Oh, you look stressed out with the crowds and stuff, but that's okay. No, I'm kidding. In all seriousness, it is a very, very, very busy time of year for so many of us when there's lots of things going on, and there are lots of, uh, lots of distractions along the way. And I'm reminded as I think about the distractions about a man one day, he was leaving work and he was, he was headed home and, and he called his wife to say, hey, honey, I'm going to be home a little late. I, I, you know, I'm behind in some things. I'm just now starting my Christmas shopping. I, I've got a lot of things in my mind. I've got to get things taken care of. I'll be home a little later. I'm going to do some shopping first. And so she, she thought nothing of it. She knew he had been dealing with a lot of stress and a lot was going on in his life. And so she said, honey, you do what you need to do. I'll see you tonight when, she, when you get home. And so she was there at the house and she was working to get things cleaned up and straightened up, she decided she wanted to listen to some Christmas music on the radio. So she turned on the radio, turned to a local station, and, and as she was listening to the music, uh, the, the, the broadcast was interrupted by an announcement, a serious announcement that there was some crazy person driving the wrong way in the interstate in the very town in which she lived. And she was concerned, and she began to realize, my, my husband's going to be traveling on that road. So she called him, and she said, honey, whatever you do, please be careful. There is a crazy person driving the wrong way on the interstate. Please be careful in your driving. And he said, absolutely, I will definitely pay attention. He said, but by the way, it's not one crazy person driving the wrong way. There are hundreds driving the wrong way down the interstate, honking like crazy. Well, of course... What that man failed to notice was, in the midst of his distraction and stress, is that he was the one going the wrong direction. The fact of the matter is, in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of all the ruckus about things, it can be very easy for us to be distracted. It can be very easy for us to be the one going the wrong direction and miss what it is that God is saying to us in the moment. My hope and prayer today and throughout really this Christmas season for every single one of us is that we can pause and we can be still long enough to reflect upon God and his incredible grace that he has demonstrated in our life. 
My hope and prayer is that in the midst of this season that we can pause and be still and recognize the goodness and the greatness of God, how he has worked, and how even today he is still working and moving in our lives. It brings us to this reality that God has been so gracious and so good to us. I I question this morning, how are we responding to him? This morning specifically, how are we responding to the grace and the goodness that God has poured out in our lives this morning? My hope and prayer for every single one of us is that that it's bringing us to a place of deeper faith, that it's bringing us to a place where it affects the way that we believe in him and ultimately the way that we live for him in our lives here today. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks as we have been looking at really the story of Christ coming to this earth. We've seen the scene unfold. We've been reminded about the importance of belief, that the only fitting response to Jesus and what he did and coming to this earth to, to give his life for us, the only appropriate response is the response of believing in him. And specifically, we've been looking at several things about God that God calls us to believe. We saw three weeks ago now that God calls us to believe that he fulfills his promises. That literally whatever God says, you can know with absolute certainty he will do. The Old Testament says it this way. God says, I am watching over my word to perform it. In other words, the things that I say, God says, I will do. God, we must believe that he fulfills his promises. Last week, we saw the illustration from Mary as the angel of the Lord speaks to Mary and he says, Mary, the child that will be conceived in you will be the child of the most high God. And then the Bible tells us that Mary asked that question, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the Bible says that the angel looked back at her and said, for nothing will be impossible with God. The second thing we believe about God is that God can do the impossible, that he has all power and he has all authority and that he is sovereignly over all these things working together for his glory. We can believe that God can do the impossible. But these truths that we believe about God bring us to a third belief this morning that I believe every single one of us need to hear and accept and apply in our lives today and that is this. God is calling us to believe that he has a plan. We must believe that God has a plan. And I believe we learned that loud and clear from the illustration of what God did in the life of a man by the name of Joseph. So if you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. The words will be here on the screen if you don't. But all of us, let's stand together and we're going to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Here's what the Bible says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Joseph awoke from his sleep, Listen to this. 
He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name, say it with me, Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you, and we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word. God, we are so thankful for the reminder that you are faithful to fulfill your promises. We are thankful, God, for the reminder that you can do all things. There is nothing that is impossible with you. But God, today, there are many of us today that are struggling with understanding how you are working. There are many of us that are struggling with understanding how you're going to work things together in our lives for your glory and for our good. And so, God, I pray today that you would help us to see the truth that you have a plan and that your plan is far greater than we can ask or even imagine right now in the moment. And so, God, I pray that today you would strengthen us in our faith, that we would be drawn all the more to trust in you and to walk by faith. May you be pleased by every response here this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Believe that God has a plan. I wonder this morning as we begin, have you ever noticed in life that there are some things that simply don't make sense? There are some things in life that seem to confuse us. They baffle us. They just don't make sense. There are times that we feel so certain about an outcome of a situation. We see the things of how it's going. We see it shaping up in our mind. We reason this will be the conclusion. And then we turn the corner and we realize we were way off. There are some times in our life that we make plans and we have uh, ideas and thoughts of how grand and glorious something will be and we, we have confidence about it and we are certain of it. And yet at the same time, if we're not careful at times, we see those very things that we were so certain of completely crumble and come to an end. Sometimes we see that in a relationship. We might see that in a job. We might see that in some extended family situation. We might see that with a friendship. We might even see that in the context of the working of the Lord. There are sometimes we are so certain of things, and yet because we live in a broken, fallen world where we see all sorts of uncertainties, the very next moment that very thing can be completely gone. Fact of the matter is, there are times that we are living our life like everything is wonderful and glorious and grand and joyful and wonderful, and we turn the next corner and there is all of a sudden something unexpected. I was reminded of that in a very physical way a few weeks ago as my family and I, we were leaving our house, heading to a basketball game. We were listening to Christmas music. It was a joyful, just easy Saturday afternoon. We left our house and literally less than a quarter of a mile past our house, we approached one of those Virginia blind curves that you have no idea what's around the corner. Ever been there before? You're approaching a hill, you're approaching a curve, and you don't know what's on the other side. And all was wonderful. Literally, it was sunny outside. It was pretty, and we were headed out to see the game. Everything was great. We literally got to the top of that hill. We began to turn at that curve, and as soon as we turned the corner, instantly, there was uncertainty. Instantly, there was an accident. Instantly, there was a collision. Literally, instantly, as the airbags deployed, there wasn't a whole lot of sunlight in that vehicle. It went from sunny and bright and beautiful and grand and glorious to dark and uncertain. Just like that. Well, what do you do in your life when you turn the corner and there is something unexpected? What do you do in your life when you turn the corner and it's sunny and beautiful and grand and glorious and instantly there's unknown and there's fear and there's panic and there's confusion? What do you do in those moments that you didn't expect? 
Well, I believe what God is teaching us in Matthew chapter one through the illustration of Joseph, this is what you do. You look to God and you trust in him. You put your faith in God. You put your faith in the one, the Bible says, who's the anchor of your soul. You put your faith in the one, you know, you don't know tomorrow. He holds tomorrow in his hand and you trust in him. I believe this morning from Matthew chapter one, there are four truths about God's plan that God wants us to hear and know from the life of Joseph. Four things about God's plans. If you're ready, would you say, all right. right. Number one, God's plans are usually different than our own. If you want to say amen, that's a good place to say amen right there. God's plans start off with a very, let's get it out of the way. God's plans are usually different than our own. For many of us today, we struggle with this simple truth. In fact, in our American culture, we have often bought into the lie that life is about ourselves. It's about my wants, it's about my needs, it's about my desires, it's about my dreams, it's about this or that. And then when others infringe on what I want and probably feel that I deserve, then we move on to other people and situations. In fact, in our culture today, we often talk about it in the context of the American dream. If you believe it, you can achieve it. If you just set your mind to it, you can do it. But there's a problem with that. The problem with that statement is that it often begins with man. It's about what I dream. It's about what I can achieve. It's about my abilities. It's about my skills. It's about my wealth. It's about my experience. It's about my knowledge. It's about me and mine. When the reality is, is that we understand from God's word that God is God and we are not. In other words, God has all power and I do not. God is sovereign over all things and I am not. God not only sees tomorrow, he sees the very end from the very beginning. I only see a very small glimpse of the temporary moment in front of me in the moment right now. The fact of the matter is God is God and we are not. God's plans are usually different than our own. So often we want to try to control the situations and we try to make our own plans. And but the fact of the matter is, is that if we do that, we ultimately miss out on what God is trying to accomplish in and through our lives. I, Think back through the Old Testament, even through the New Testament and the Bible, there are numerous times that God moved in people's lives very differently than they would have imagined or probably even wanted. For example, think of Joseph in the Old Testament, all the way back in Genesis, like 37 through 50. I'm sure if Joseph was given an option, he would not have chosen to be betrayed and sold into slavery by his brothers. He would have never chosen to be falsely accused of something inappropriate. He would have never chosen to be spending time in prison. He would have never been chosen. He would have never chosen to be forgotten in prison. And yet, God's plans were different than his. And through it all, God was working and he was moving sovereignly to bring Joseph to a position of influence and a position ultimately to spare his own people. No, Joseph wouldn't have chosen those things, but God used those very things to bring him to a position not only for his own well-being, but for the protection and the provision of his family and his people. Why? Because God's plans are greater than Joseph's. I think back in the Old Testament of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the Bible calls him the weeping prophet. Now think of that for just a moment. I mean, what a privilege to be a prophet of God, right? Like like if you're gonna be a prophet, you wanna be the prophet who's known as like the Billy Graham of the prophets. You know what I mean? Like like he wants to be the evangelistic prophet or or the repentance prophet that he preaches and thousands of people repent and they get right with God. No, he's known as the crybaby prophet, okay? He's the prophet that God says, Jeremiah, 
You're going to weep over the sins of the people. I'm calling you to preach, but nobody's going to believe. That's some encouragement for you, right? But that's what Jeremiah was called to do. And yet through Jeremiah's life, God had a plan. And God was working and moving in ways that Jeremiah didn't fully understand in the moment. I look back at the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Listen, we see it over and over again. There were numerous times he says, listen, I want to get to you. I want to be with you. I want to minister to you. I want to preach God's word and teach you there. Numerous times, though, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him because God had something else for him. And yet over time, as you would study the New Testament, as you would study with the various people that he was addressing along the way, we begin to realize that even though Paul had a plan that was different than God's, God's was better, and God would use those delays, and God would use those moments of waiting, and God would use those pauses as reasons ultimately to ultimately accomplish his purpose in his life. God's plans are usually different than our own. We see that so clearly in the life of Joseph. In fact, we see it in the very beginning of verse 18 of our text this morning. The Bible says the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're not careful, you can read this verse as just a historical fact. This is exactly what happened, and it's true. But what we miss in this moment is what Joseph was facing in this moment. Can you imagine what Joseph was going through as he gets the news that Mary is pregnant? Picture the scene with me for just a moment. The Bible tells us they were in the betrothal period of their relationship. The betrothal period was somewhat similar to our culture today in a way that a couple gets engaged. In our day today, a couple will get engaged and they will begin to make a date for when they get married and they will begin all the plans and preparations. Well, in that day, a betrothal period was similar because they were making a commitment to each other, but there was much more to it in that culture than there is in ours. For example, when a couple was betrothed to be married, they were legally bound. In that betrothal period, they were making a covenant to one another. They were not just saying, I'm going to marry you. This was a legally bound commitment that they were making that everyone knew about. The betrothal period normally lasted about a year in that time frame, and during that year, especially, the man had much responsibility because he didn't go look for an apartment to rent. He didn't go find someone else to build a house. No, it was the man's responsibility to build the place that they were going to live. Some of us are thankful that is not our culture anymore today. Yours truly being one of them. But here's what he would do. The man would go to his father's house and he literally would build onto the house. It's kind of like he was building their own chamber, so to speak, their own glorified room. And he would add to his father's house and he would be working on this, preparing this for when the betrothal period would end and then they would come together as husband and wife. So Mary and Joseph are betrothed. They are in our culture, if you will, engaged. But the difference is they were legally bound. And even though they were legally seen as husband and wife already, the Bible tells us something very interesting. First, Mary didn't yet live with Joseph. Why? He's building the house. But secondly, Mary and Joseph were not together intimately. Mary was a virgin, the Bible says. 
And so that's the context of this moment. Here is Joseph, their betrothed. He's working hard. He's preparing the house. No doubt he is dreaming and excited. He's anticipating what life is going to be like. Man, he's thinking, man, Mary is such a a godly girl, such a a beautiful girl, such a a humble young lady, and she's going to be my wife, and we're going to be married, and we're going to have children together in the future, and our life is going to be wonderful together. No, No, he's anticipating this. In fact, I would just cause you for just a moment, if you're married here today, I imagine that you can think back a few years before you got married. I imagine there was much anticipation when you proposed, men, and she said, yes, you were excited about that. I remember Heather and I, we got engaged in November of uh, my senior year of college, and I remember I was, at that time I was on a dorm of guys at Liberty. There were 56 guys in the dorm, and we got engaged in November, and when I came back from Christmas break, I quickly arrived to the dorm to find in the middle of the dorm on a bulletin board was a large calendar. And each sheet of paper, there's a sheet of paper for every day from December the fir- or January the 1st to the day that we and I, she and I were going to get married on June 21st. It was a count. My whole dorm had a countdown going towards the day that I would get married. I will not tell you what they called that calendar, but nonetheless, <laughs> the entire dorm knew that I was getting married. And so there was anticipation. Joseph is there. He's in this season of anticipation. He's expecting, he's dreaming, he's planning. Oh, life is going to be wonderful. Life is going to be good. Just months away he is from the fulfillment of his plans when all of a sudden God interrupts the plans. He has his idea of what's going to happen. He has his goals for how things are going to unfold. He has his hopes for the future. And suddenly... God interrupts the plans. Truth be told this morning, we often miss God's plans because we see them as interruptions. But don't miss this. Interruptions from God are actually his invitation for us to join him. I've got this plan with Mary. We're gonna be married. This is what our life is gonna look like. And then the Bible says, but before they came together, She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. God's plans are different than our own. Could you imagine in this moment what Joseph was going through? Can you imagine the questions that must have filled Joseph's heart and mind in this moment? Can you imagine the thoughts that would have entered his mind and as he began to question his feelings towards Mary and began even to question maybe God? God, how could you allow this to happen? Joseph knew that he wasn't the father. Picture the background for just a moment. The Bible tells us some interesting things. Now, we don't know exactly when Joseph learned that Mary was pregnant. But I think there's a biblical uh, implication, if you will, when you study the context of all that had happened. So let me try to just recap this real quick. In the Old Testament, God had sent prophet after prophet who foretold that God would send a Messiah, a Savior, into the world. Isaiah prophesied, Jeremiah prophesied, David prophesied, Micah prophesied, Malachi prophesied. I mean, there are countless, these prophets prophesying the Savior is going to come. But God's people through the Old Testament, at times they were believing, but many times they they got distracted and they quit believing that it was going to happen. So they began to live for themselves, doing what they wanted. They weren't focused on God. And the Bible says as the Old Testament comes to an end, literally, that God became silent with his people. For 400 years, God did not give a prophet. He did not give a single fresh word. But that silence was broken 
in Luke chapter 1, when God speaks through an angel to the priest by the name of Zacharias. And God tells Zacharias, Zacharias, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to conceive and have a child. In her old age, she's been called barren, that she would never have a child, but I'm giving her a child, and you're going to name him John, and he is going to be the forerunner. He's going to go ahead before the Savior. The Bible says that Zacharias and Elizabeth, they leave, they go home. Guess what? Elizabeth gets pregnant. Luke chapter 1, God breaks the silence by speaking again. God sends his angel once again to speak to a virgin girl in Nazareth by the name of Mary. And the angel says, Mary, you've been greatly graced by God. God has a plan for you. You're going to conceive and you're going to have a child. And literally the, the, the power of God will overshadow you. You will conceive and the child will be known as the child of the most high God. Mary hears the message and then she asks the question, how can this be? How can I be pregnant when I'm still a virgin? And the angel speaks and says, this is, this is possible with God. With man, this is impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. This is going to happen, Mary. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, in her barren womb, she's now pregnant and she's six months pregnant. Mary receives the message by faith. She believes and she says, let it be to me according to your word. And I believe from that context, the very next thing we see in Luke chapter 1 is Mary goes to visit Elizabeth her relative. And when she gets there to Elizabeth, she sees Elizabeth is six months pregnant, just like the angel of the Lord had spoken. And there she stays with Elizabeth. She's ministering to Elizabeth. She's taking care of Elizabeth. She's supporting Elizabeth in this entire process. And so the Bible says that the time comes that Elizabeth gives birth to a little boy named John. Mary makes sure that everything is well and good. The transition at home life is going well. And then Mary comes back to Nazareth to Joseph. Picture the scene in Joseph's mind. Joseph is working hard to prepare the house. He's getting everything together. He's dreaming with great hopes about the future. He's excited about the things to come. All he knows is that Mary has suddenly left town and she's gone to visit her relative Elizabeth. She's gone for 12 to 16 weeks and then she comes back with the news. She's pregnant. That's when just Joseph's mind. Wait a second, wait, 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 wait a second. I've been working hard and I've been preparing for our future and I've been thinking about the things to come. And Mary has fled, if you will. She's hurried away, the Bible says. In fact, the scripture says in Luke 1, verse 39, now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah. She's left quickly to take care of Elizabeth. That's what she said. But don't you know that Joseph in that moment had a lot of questions? As Mary's pregnant, no doubt 12 to 16 weeks, we know today she's beginning to show. Where has she really been the past three or four months? And who's she really been with? Why did she hurry that day and how did this happen and, and what's really going on here? From Joseph's perspective, there's no doubt about it. There was confusion. There were questions. There were frustrations. How could Mary have done this to him? How could God have allowed this to happen to him? What I don't understand is that God's plans are very different than our own, but we should also be reminded that God's plans are always perfect. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, these very simple words, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
You may not see it, you may not sense it, you may not understand it, but God's ways and his thoughts are always perfect to accomplish his plan for his glory and even for our good. We see that God's plans are different than our own. Secondly, we see that God's plans are often difficult to understand. God, if we're trying to get from point A to point B, then we know the best way to do it. This should be done in this way, and it should always be done in this way. But please understand that God's plans and God's ways are always according to his plan, and God sees and knows all things. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is sovereign. He's working in all these things together, ultimately, to accomplish his plans and his purposes. And we see that in the context of Joseph's life. Think of Joseph for a moment. God's plan in this moment was difficult for him to understand. Picture the scene. The Bible says in verse 19, Joseph, her husband, why? Because they're betrothed. This is a legally uh, binding relationship. Being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, he planned to send her away secretly. God's plan was difficult for Joseph to understand. The Bible says of Joseph that he was a righteous man. This doesn't mean he was a good old boy. This means that he was a man who sought to live his life in a way that pleased God. He didn't want to base his decision upon his feelings. He didn't want to base his decision upon what was popular. He didn't want to base his decision based upon what his buddies recommended. No, he wanted to live his life by conviction. What would God have me to do? I believe Joseph is in a heavy moment in this situation. He is facing a great dilemma and difficulty. Not because he sinned against God, but because he's in the center of God's will. Sometimes we think that we face difficulty because we must have done something wrong, we must have done something bad, and therefore God's consequences and judgment is coming. But there are times we face difficulties right when we are where God wants us to be. But in that difficulty, in that circumstance, in that dilemma, God is still working. No doubt Joseph was in a dilemma a place of great difficulty. Please understand this morning, there are times that we face crisis because of our disobedience, but there are also times in our obedience that God brings us to a crisis of belief that causes us to trust him in ways that we thought unimaginable. Sometimes people will look at circumstances that others are going through and they will say, but, well, I could never do that. Well, I could never answer in that way. I could never forgive that. I could never step up in this. I could never be courageous in this. But please understand that God allows these moments of crisis at times because in them it brings us to a crisis of belief where God causes us to trust him in ways that we thought unimaginable. Think of what Joseph was dealing with in that moment. Joseph, of course, was dealing with the difficulty of doubt. Can you imagine being Joseph in that moment? Can you imagine the conversation that must have taken place between Mary and Joseph? Mary comes to Joseph and she says, Joseph, I love you and I'm devoted to you and I've been faithful to you. Joseph, I'm pregnant. And the Holy Spirit did this to me. Now Joseph is a righteous man, but he's still a man, folks. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah Joseph, I, I know God's been silent for 400 years, but yeah, the, the teenage girl from Nazareth, yeah, God came and spoke to me through the messenger, Gabriel. Do you understand, like, this is very difficult to believe. I, I, I think in this moment, in his flesh, Joseph is probably in that moment thinking, 
I love you, Mary, but yeah, right. God's been silent for 400 years, and when God speaks, God speaks through a prophet, not through a teenage girl from Nazareth. If God's going to send his son as a savior to be king of kings, he's going to come through Jerusalem. He's going to come with wealth and, and with triumph and with military power. Through the womb of a virgin, Mary? Really? There's a lot of doubt there. Truth be told, if, if Joseph were me, I, I'd be honest, my own confession would be, there would also probably be some doubts about God. God, how could you let this happen? God, I've been living for you. I've been honoring you. I've been, I've been faithful to you. I'm trying to please you in all that I do. And I didn't ask for this. This isn't the way I planned things. This isn't what I saw, God. It's just doubt. I think Joseph faced a lot of fear. He faced a lot of fear because in this moment, as he understands that Mary is pregnant, he's in a situation where he has to do something with this knowledge. He can't just do nothing. And no matter which way he went, there are going to be consequences. For example, everybody knew that they were not together yet, intimately as husband and wife. Everybody knew that they were not sharing the same house together as husband and wife. Everybody knew this. If Joseph was to show love towards her, if Joseph was to accept her as his wife, Everybody would understand that they have been together before marriage, and with that, there would be a certain guilt associated that he would experience. But by doing this in that culture, no doubt, they would have been criticized, they would have been ostracized by the very people that Joseph loved and grew up with, their family, their friends, all these different people. If this were true, if he married her, there would be a sense of guilt associated in their relationship. People would look down upon them. Oh, kids, there come Mary and Joseph. We know what they've been doing. Don't, don't follow their example. They're not honoring God. But if Joseph in that culture divorced Mary, because remember that betrothal period was legally binding, if he divorced her, then by his very actions, he would be saying, I am not the father of the child that she is carrying. And if he was not the father, it would mean that she had been immoral. And in that culture, literally that sin was punishable by being stoned to death. In other words, the letter of the law in that culture said if she was unfaithful to him, then she was deserving of death. And so if Joseph married her, then there would be a sense of isolation and separation from the people that he loved because they would assume that he had been immoral. But if Joseph put her away, they would kill her. Joseph is in a place of great fear. So the angel comes with that simple word, Joseph, don't be afraid. Not only did he face fear, I believe that he faced a lot of pressure in this moment. Don't you know that in the eyes of the world, in the courts of public opinion, everybody's got an opinion of what you should do? Don't believe that? Ah, go watch some news this afternoon, okay? Everybody's got an opinion about it. Turn on Facebook for five minutes. It doesn't take you long to find out. Everybody's got an opinion about it, and everybody thinks they're a, uh, a scholar about something. A lot of opinions about what Joseph should have done. A lot of pressure. Mary could be stoned to death, and, or he could be married and be rejected by people that he loves. 
Joseph knew this wasn't his baby. He, I think the picture, this, if we picture the scene, I think what's happening is Joseph likely, he's, going, he's taking in all this information. I think he's probably working hard. He's trying to figure out what to do. He's seeking God's direction. He's trying to weigh this heavy situation. I, I think it is, a, it is a heavy weight on him. My opinion, he gets to the end of the day He's wrestled through it. He's prayed about it. He's thought about it. He's thought through all the different angles, all the different decisions, what could come, what wouldn't come, and he finally makes the decision. There's only one thing to do. The baby is not mine. I want to believe her, but it's hard to make sense of it all. I don't understand it all. The baby's not mine. I'm not going to raise this child as my own. I'm going to divorce her. That's the conclusion he comes to. The Bible tells us in verse 19, Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. What that means literally is he planned to break off the betrothal period and send her away privately. Now that sounds harsh in our culture, but please understand, in this moment, he's trying to find a way to break off the relationship and yet do so in a way that will not cause her harm. Commentator John Phillips said it this way, Joseph decided to act as kindly as he could by putting the bill of divorcement in her hand privately instead of exposing her to the shame of public trial and the dangers of an official sentence. He may also have planned to omit any calls in the bill so that there would be no public record to convict her. Maybe you're sitting there like me, like hearing the story unfold. And I'm kind of looking at Joseph. I mean, he had all of his dreams, all his plans, all of his hopes and now his fiance basically shows up and she's pregnant and he's not the father. I don't know about you, but I look back at this situation and I'm like, where is God in all of this? Where is God in this situation, frankly, that seems like such a mess? Like, where's, it, where's God in this situation that doesn't make sense and it's hard to see clarity in the midst of all the confusion? Where's God in the midst of this? But here's the amazing truth. God was right in the middle of it all, working to accomplish his plan. The third thing I want you to see this morning is this. Remember, nothing is impossible with God. Here's a third truth. God's plans are discovered through his word. God's plans are discovered through his word. If you're still with me, would you say I am? I love how this scripture unfolds because what God is doing is he's bringing us in these two verses of scripture to a situation that makes very little sense. He's bringing us in this situation that seems hopeless and confusing and messy and painful and, uh, and challenging in every way possible, but there's a transition that's coming. God is working even in the situations that we don't see or understand. Even when we can't make sense of the mess, God is working to accomplish his plan and to reveal even his purpose. And God does that by revealing his purpose through his word. Here's Joseph, and he's worked hard, I believe, all day long. He's now made the decision as he goes to bed that night what must be done. And that context is he must break off the relationship. He knows this child is not his. The relationship must be over. He's worked throughout the day. No doubt he's tired. He decides in that moment it's time to go to bed. So he lays down and he goes to sleep. But the Bible says, remember, God can do the impossible. As Joseph sleeps, God gives him a dream. And in the dream, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and delivered a message from God. Now, time out for just a moment. Please know 
that every dream is not a dream from God, okay? A few Saturday mornings ago, I woke up and one of my children said, Daddy, I had the best dream ever. I said, all right, tell me, tell me, sweetheart, what was the dream? She said, Daddy, I dreamed we went to Krispy Kreme Donuts and we ate as many as they would let us eat. Now, that dream did not come from God, okay? I'm just letting you know. But I did go to Krispy Kreme that morning and we ate as many as we could handle in the moment. I'm not saying every dream comes from God, but this was no ordinary moment. This was a moment of significance where God was working in an extraordinary way to reveal his plan specifically for Joseph, but a plan that would not only impact Joseph, it would literally impact all the world, including us here today. God reveals his plan through his word. God reveals his plan through his spoken word, through his living word, Jesus Christ, and through his written word, the Bible. The Bible says that the angel came and he spoke to Joseph and he came with a specific message that we'll look at in just a moment. But please understand this this morning. God is still revealing his plan for our life today. God is still speaking into our hearts and lives today. It may not be through the angel Gabriel in our lives today, but God still speaks through his word to guide us and to direct us, to convict us and to instruct us in the paths that we are to go in our life. John chapter 16, Jesus speaks and he's talking about the Holy Spirit and he says, listen, after I leave, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit and here's what he said. He says, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth. Then the very next chapter, John 17, he says this. He says, Father, sanctify them in the truth for your word is truth. So pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying to you this morning, no, Gabriel may not speak to us in the context of our life today like he spoke to Zacharias or like he spoke to Mary or like he spoke to Joseph in the moment, though he could if God so chooses that. The simple reality, though, is that we don't have any less of the word of God when God has given us the entirety of scripture to guide us and direct us in his plans. Think of this for just a moment. So often in our life, people will say, I just wish I knew God's will. I just wish I knew God's will. I just wish God would put his will for me, put his word for me on a billboard so I'd know exactly what God wanted me to do. Friend, I want to remind you this morning, God is not obligated to put his word on a billboard when he's already given it to us in what we know today as the word of God, the Bible. Don't demand a billboard when God's already given you his word that we often take for granted and put aside on a regular basis. God reveals his plans through his word. And God revealed his plan to Joseph through his word in the context of Gabriel, the messenger. I want you to notice two things that God's word did. And I'm going to move quickly. First, God's word revealed his purpose for Joseph. You're in a situation that you don't know, you don't understand, you can't make sense of. What do you do? Get in God's word. Because as you get in God's word and let God's word get into your heart and life, God will begin to guide you. God will begin to shape you. God will begin to teach you. And he will even begin to instruct you on the steps that you're to take. Joseph didn't know everything that was to come. God didn't say, now, Joseph, here's how it's going to happen. You're going to go to Bethlehem. God didn't tell him that. God didn't tell Joseph, now, you're going to have to get out of there pretty quickly because Herod's going to come. He's going to do everything that he can to to try to get rid of the children in in the area. God didn't tell Joseph every detail. But he did clearly explain his purpose for Joseph in two different things. First, we see it in these words. The Bible says, when he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child has been conceived in her as of the Holy Spirit. God's personal purpose for Joseph was first and foremost, take Mary to be your wife. 
take Mary to be your wife. Mary, Mary, if you will. But the second word of purpose is this, verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Here's my purpose for you, Joseph. Take Mary to be your wife and then when the child is born, name him Jesus. Now in our culture, there's something simple happening in that message that we often miss. Yes, there's significance in his name. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But please understand that whenever the angel said, Joseph, you are to name the child Jesus, please understand that what is happening is this. In that day, it was the father's role to give the child his name. It was the paternal responsibility of the father to name the child, especially that of the firstborn son. And so when the Bible tells us that the angel said, Joseph, you name him Jesus, please understand what the angel was saying was this. Yes, you name him Jesus, but Joseph, it will be your responsibility. You will take on a paternal role on his earthly life. When he's born, you're going to be the one guiding him and directing him like a father would his child, even though this child is the son of God. Can you imagine Joseph in this moment? Joseph, a humble, unknown carpenter in Nazareth. Who would have ever thought that if God was sending his son into the world, that he would send him to be taught and to be nurtured and to be supported and to be encouraged, to be led, to be provided and protected for, who would have ever thought God would have sent his son to such a simple, common, ordinary man as Joseph? Surely if God was going to send his son, the king of kings and lord of lords would come through Jerusalem, through, through royal heritage, where there would be wealth and comfort and riches and all these things. But no, God's plan was very different than man's. God's word revealed the purpose for Joseph. But please understand that God's word also did something else. God's word fulfilled his promise to all. What did the angel say? The angel said, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. You know, in biblical times, when a parent named a child, the name of the child was of great meaning and significance. In our day today, we name children whatever, oftentimes we name children whatever sounds good, right? Whatever's popular. Uh, there's some pretty funny illustrations about that, but I won't go into that for time's sake right now. But in biblical times, when you named your child, you named a child something of great meaning and of great significance. We cannot miss the meaning of this child's name because what I want us to see is this. Yes, God had a special purpose for Joseph. It was very personal for him. It was a personal word of assurance and of plan and of truth. But don't miss this. What God was doing in that moment was far greater than Joseph could have ever imagined. He didn't understand the unknowns. He didn't understand the, the, the reasons for all the challenges. He didn't understand the, the hurts and the doubts and the frustrations and the pressures, the uncertainties. He didn't understand that, but he didn't also understand all that God was doing until this moment. God looks at Joseph and he says through angel, the angel Gabriel, he says, name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Please understand the name Jesus literally means three words, God our Savior. 
Jesus means God our Savior. Joseph, I want you to understand something. This isn't just a child that's coming to Mary. This is the son of the most high God. God is sending a way into the world that all mankind can be saved, that all mankind can be rescued. Rescued from what? He will save his people from their sins. This is the first time in the entire New Testament that the Bible introduces to us this reality of sin. What does it mean to sin? The name sin literally was a term in the Old Testament of archery uh, that was given and then it was translated in the New Testament. That name sin literally means to miss the mark. It means that God is perfect, that God is holy, that God is just, that God is true, that he never does wrong, he never lies, he never thinks wrong, he never acts upon wrong. He is perfect, true, and holy. And the Bible says that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It means that we all fall short. We say things we and, and come short of the glory that falls short of God's perfection. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter, young, old, black, white, it doesn't matter, your country of origin. We all fall short. We've all sinned against God. And the Bible says in Romans 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. The consequence of us falling short, the punishment of our sin is death. And it's not just referring to the physical body that will die. It's referring to the death of our soul. It's referring to the fact that literally for those who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we've all sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. And as a result of that, literally for eternity, we will spend an eternity separated from God. God made a way for us to be forgiven. God made a way for us to be cleansed. God made a way for us who have fallen short to be made right in relationship with God. And that was through a son that he would send, this son named Jesus, God our Savior, who would save the people from their sins. Please understand that Joseph did not understand all of the pain and all the uncertainty and all the doubts and all the confusion. But please understand this morning that it wasn't just about God's plans for Joseph. It was about God's plans for you and for me and for all the world that all of us could be saved and could be in a relationship with him. That's why the Bible says in John 3, 16 and 17 that God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. Final point of God's plans is this. We see the fourth thing, and I'll close, is that God's plans always demand a response. God's plans always demand a response. Joseph, my purpose for you, take Mary to be your wife and name the child Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Well, what do you do when God speaks to your heart and to your life? What do you do when God gives instruction like he gave to Joseph? Joseph in this moment was brought to a crisis of belief. Do I truly believe God? Do I really trust that God has a plan? Do I truly believe that this child that's coming into the world is the son of God who will save the people from their sins. Joseph is in a moment, frankly, in a crisis of belief where he has to make a decision. He could go forward with God or he could miss it. 
He could harden his heart against God and say, God, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I planned. This is not the way I envisioned it. God, I don't want anything to do with it. Or he could soften his heart and surrender and say, Lord, I'll trust in you. He could focus on the cost or he could focus on the privilege. He could see God's direction as an interruption or he could see it as an invitation to join him. He could focus on the will of the people or he could focus on the will of God. He could focus on the opinion of man or he could focus on the opportunity. But here's the simple reality. He could not stay where he was. He had to act. God's plans always, always, always demand a response. I'm gonna ask Pastor Scott to go ahead and come on up and begin playing. But let me just ask you to remember and to realize how Joseph responded. Joseph responded with two simple ways. He responded with faith and he responded with obedience. The Bible says it this way in verse 24. So Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And by the way, he called his name. Say it with me. Jesus. That's right. You know what Joseph did when he knew what God wanted him to do? He believed and he obeyed. He believed and he obeyed. I wonder this morning the same truth in our own life today. In your life, are you believing in God and obeying Him? You know, this morning we could look at this story and we could say, wow, well, Pastor, that's great for Joseph. I mean, that's great for him. I mean, it's cool that we're reading about him in Scripture. You know, 2,000 years later, it's pretty amazing, but God could never work in my life in that way. God would never do something so personal in my life. Well, I want you to know this morning, if God cared for a simple, common, ordinary, unknown man named Joseph, I assure you, he cares for you. The Bible says in that scripture, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That statement kind of begs a question, doesn't it? That question is, well, who are his people? Who are the people who can be saved from their sins? Who are the people that Jesus came for? Who are his people? I want to remind you this morning that the Bible answers that question in John chapter 1, verse 12. Listen to the word of promise that the scripture gives us. It says it this way. But as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, his people, even to those who do what? Believe in his name. Jesus came to give life and salvation to all who will believe in his name. Name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His people are all who believe. My question for you this morning as we close this message is very simple. It really is. The question is this. Do you know without a doubt, with complete certainty in your life, that you belong to Jesus because you have believed in 
to be your Savior. He is the Savior of the world. He is the only way you can be forgiven of your sins. He is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to peace with God. He's the only way you can be rescued from your sin. He's the Savior of the world. The question is personal. Is He your Savior? Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.